0: But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said to him, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding, good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. And I'd like to welcome those of you that are on YouTube live right now. Thank you for joining us. Believe is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 10. We just read the verses 22 through 42. That's what we're looking at. And we're, the title of this weekend's message is Life Without Lack. And grab your sermon notes out, you can follow along. David said in Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Paul said in Philippians 4, through 13, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we're going to talk about contentment, and um, I still have a long ways to go to learn this. I had some things that challenged this over the last couple of weeks in my own life. How many would say you still have a a ways to go when it comes to contentment? Yeah, I think most of us would say, yep, yep, I need help in that area. And uh, if you said no, we'll pray for you at the end of the service for being in denial, okay? I think we all struggle with this. I mean, we live in America, and so we, we, we deal with this contentment, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. He was in prison not sure if he was going to die or not, and so he had a contentment. There's a contentment in Christ that we can experience. In fact, living a life without lack is living a life of contentment no matter what happens. Now, a definition we've been using for the last few years, we used this definition when we were going through the teaching series in Psalm 23, Psalm 23. and it's on your notes there, contentment is an internal, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the presence and providence of God. By the way, we did that series a couple years ago, and I just did a DB clip walking through that definition that will be out on Monday morning. You can get that if you go to our the Desert Breeze Community Church YouTube channel or later on on our website, but contentment is an internal... It's not based on circumstances, it's something going on inside of us, gracious, it's a work of grace in our life, quiet spirit, that joyfully rest in the presence and providence of the Good Shepherd. Christians should be the most contented people on the planet because of what is true about the Good Shepherd sheep, that's us, and the assurance we have about that. That's what this text shows us. So it's going to give us some insight into what is true about the Good Shepherd's sheep, that's us. And then, what's the foundation of that? What's the basis of that? So, what is true about the Good Shepherd Sheep? Here's the first one. First, fill in the blank on your notes. They believe Jesus is the Christ. Look at verses 22 through 26. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. And at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? These guys are clueless. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. There's plenty of evidence here. I've already told you this. But you guys don't believe. In fact, verse 26, it says, but you did not, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Now, in 26, Jesus is saying they are not part of the Old Testament sheep who believed in God and therefore were looking for the Messiah. That's, that's the essence of that verse. That's what he's saying here. You see, the Old Testament predicted the Messiah. The New Testament presented the Messiah, and that's what he's saying. If you'd have been part of the, my sheep in the Old Testament awaiting the Messiah, you would have believed in me. In fact, Scripture is the best commentary for Scripture, John 8, 42, a few chapters earlier. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, truly your Father, he's t- talking to the religious leaders, Pharisees, as he is here in our text, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. And John 8, 47 also helps us with that. Um, So if you guys had been kind of tracking what the Old Testament says, you would have received me as the Messiah. It's evident you're not my sheep. You don't actually believe in the Father. Otherwise, you would have believed in the Son. You would have received Him. That's the point and I've given you plenty of information and you guys refuse to believe. That's the bottom line. Now let's talk about belief because what is true about the Good Shepherd sheep, they believe Jesus is the Christ. Now this is what you need to know about belief. Everyone on this planet believes in something. Everybody has a belief system, not just Christians or people that are caught up in another religion or cult or whatever, everyone has a belief system. Even atheists have a belief system. Everyone on this planet is betting their life on something. Everyone on this planet is living their life for something or maybe someone. You have to have a belief system. Everyone has a belief system. Even atheists have a belief system. They're counting on the fact that there is no God, there is no judgment. And when we die, we become worm food, and nothing goes beyond that, and eventually the sun will burn out, and then all of this will be a big nothing. But that's a belief system. They're banking on that. They're counting on that. Everyone has a belief system. John 20, 31, John tells us The purpose of this book, you guys remember what the purpose of this book is? These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, Christ meaning Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh, and by believing, you may have life in His name, in His character, in who He is and what He came to do. That's the purpose of this book, is that we would believe. So what is true about good shepherd sheep, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now we gotta talk about belief because a lot of times I I ask people, well, do you believe in Jesus? And they'll say, well, yes, of course I do. And and, And it's more than just believing that He existed or He came to die on the cross for our sins. So when you think of belief, and this is kind of the working definition we've been using throughout this series, is that always think head, heart, hands. True belief involves all three of those. So if you say, I believe in Jesus, what that means is that there's content to your faith and, and the head part of it is that you believe in the person and work of Jesus, who he is. He's the Messiah, came from heaven to earth to rescue us and... And how did he do that? He died in our place for our sins to reconcile us to the Father. So, so you can have that, that content and still not be a believer. You can know that and maybe even agree with that, but it's got to move from your head down into your heart. So it goes from content to conviction and comfort. And so what you begin to realize when you hear the gospel being proclaimed to your head, so it's truth entering the head, it's got to ignite your heart in this way that you begin to realize that I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful Jesus had to die for me, but I am more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much He wanted to die for me. See, that would go from head, heart, conviction, comfort. And then it begins to work its way out into your hands. That's, that's true faith. In other words, you make a commitment to live your life, to give your life for him and to live for his glory. So it's truth entering the head, igniting the heart, outworking through the hands. And believe me, <laughs> it will change everything about your life. He will transform your life. The gospel transforms people's lives. Head, heart, hands. Truth entering the head, igniting the heart, outworking through the hands. That's what it means to believe it is more than an agreement with facts in the head it is an appetite for God in the heart listen to me that exceeds all other appetites when you begin to see the beauty and the glory of Christ your heart is smitten your heart is captivated your heart is overwhelmed that even that anyone would love you as much as he loves you and then you begin to you begin to follow him and Serve Him and love Him and respond to this offer of salvation through Him. Commitment, head, heart, hands. And so it's more than agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites, working its way out through our hands in every area of our life. One of the ways that I'm able to remember, you know, verses, I memorize verses, and now I've been doing... uh, kind of uh, taking a picture of the verse on my phone, and I've got it in my uh, file of pictures. But uh, I still do this from time to time, three by five cards, and I'll carry things around. And I I wrote this down a number of years ago. It was really helpful for me because I think we all struggle with gospel amnesia. You know what I'm talking about? You kind of forget what we have in Christ and who Christ is, and my, my behavior betrays me. It kind of reveals that because how I'm responding to the circumstances of life or the people of life, it kind of shows that you don't really believe that God's for you. And so we can all do that. And so I wrote this down uh, a number of years ago, and it was really helpful for me. And basically, it's the gospel message. It says, the gospel is the good news of the true story that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and evil through his own life, death, and resurrection, and is making all things new, starting with And on the backside of this, I said this, when you truly grasp the gospel in all of its beauty and glory and richness, it will cause you to be stopped in your tracks, fall on your knees, and cry out to God in wonder, love, and praise. That would just be a normal response. When you understand the gospel, when it gets a hold of your heart, oh my goodness, that is indeed the best news ever. And that's what happens to our lives. When we hear the gospel, we begin to respond to it. We put our faith in Him, bam, oh my goodness, there's not a better life that He invites us to. Believing in, in Jesus is not completing a ritual, saying a prayer, signing a card, walking the aisle, getting dunked in a tank, baptism. It's got to go beyond that. You can do all of that and still not, not be a Christian. It's, it's more than that. Yeah, you, that might have happened to you. You might have made that commitment at that time. And so believing in Jesus is not completing a ritual. It is commencing a relationship. It's entering into a relationship. And by the way, when you make that commitment, that's not the finish line. That's the starting blocks of an ongoing, growing, intimate relationship with God. Now listen to me. This relationship is the most life-liberating, soul-satisfying relationship you will ever have. Absolutely. It's the best relationship. That's what's true about us. Now you, now you can kind of get a glimpse into the contentment that He offers us. Man, if you have this relationship, there's not a better relationship. Why would we not have contentment in our life if we have Him in all circumstances? But gospel amnesia kicks in, and we struggle with that. But there's more, much more. So what is true about the good shepherd's sheep? They believe Jesus is the Christ. Here's the next one. They hear his voice and follow him. It's really speaking of intimacy with him. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So it's first of all hearing his voice. Now, how does God speak to us? How does he speak to us? Well, we know based on Scripture... We don't know God by human speculation, we know God by uh, divine revelation, so He reveals Himself to us. How does He do that? Creation, conscience, commandments, God's Word, and then ultimately through Christ. And so it tells us in uh, Psalm 19, that chapter reveals to us how God speaks to us. Heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. So in creation, every day, when that sun rises, he's speaking to you, he's talking to us. Creation is revealing his glory, his beauty. Do you have ears to hear? Are you paying attention? And so he talks about in Psalm 19, creation, commandments, God's word. And then ultimately, uh, our, and then the last part of that chapter is conscience, our sense of conscience. Now Romans 1 it talks about creation. In fact, it says, "Man is without excuse." There's enough revelation of God in creation that man is without excuse. But what we do is we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness is what it says. And then chapter 2, it talks about our conscience, sense of right and wrong. And then the third chapter, Romans 3, talks about Christ. So creation, conscience. Oh, by the way, he wrote a book. It's called the Bible. Okay, that's how we know he exists. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then he showed up here through Jesus Christ. How do we know there's a God? He wrote a book, and he showed up here, okay? And, and so he's speaking to us. Now, it's one thing to hear his voice. It's all another to follow him. And so what does that mean to follow him? Here at Desert Breeze, our mission statement is we want to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to create a safe environment so people can come in here, hear the gospel message, and commit their life to Him and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I say unchurched because there are 200,000 unchurched people within a five-mile radius of, of Desert Breeze. We've got our work cut out for us, don't we? A lot of people in this community. And I say unchurched because there are both Christians and non-Christians that are not connected to a local church family. And so we want to reach out to them with the gospel. So what does that mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? We have a 5G process that we take you through in our DB Life class, formerly known as Game of Life. With DB Life, we take you through this 5G process. So here's uh, pop quiz time for those of you that have gone through that class to see how well you remember uh, what we learned in that class. What's the first G? Yell it out to me. Genuine. You become a genuine Christian who's committed to to Christ and to a local church family, you make that public through water baptism. You become a genuine Christian. You enter into this relationship with God. What's G2? Growing, so if you're genuine, you're walking with Him, you're gonna wanna live His word. So you make a commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth, Bible study, prayer, hanging out with other Christians. We call that small groups because you wanna grow in your relationship with Christ. What's the third G? Giving. So if you're genuine, you'll be growing. If you're growing, you're going to be giving. Your life's going to be filled up with Christ. And that'll be an overflow of your life. You're going to make a commitment to give of your time and your talent and your treasure to God through a local church family like Desert Breeze. What's the fourth G? Going. Oh, my goodness. When you experience intimacy with Him, fellowship with Him, the God of the galaxies. You want everybody you care about to know and experience that. I mean, you you start looking around and saying, man, they need this and they need, need this. Everybody needs this. I'm loving it and I want them to love it too. And so you begin to get busy about sharing your faith within your circle of influence and then you get excited about what we do here, like even through our coffee bar and all of our outreach efforts. You guys know that when you drink coffee, that does a lot of missions work, so keep drinking that coffee. <laughs> woohoo! And And so, I mean, you, you want to reach people with the gospel message, because we know, we know their lives will be transformed. And, and so that's the fourth G. What's the fifth G? Glorifying, glorifying. And here's a statement we've used for years. God is most glorified in us. Uh, 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 let me stop, let me stop just for a minute, okay. Listen, you need to know this. Every person on this planet was created by God for God to give glory to God. And God is most glorified in us when we are what? Most satisfied in him. You want to bring glory to God? Be satisfied in him every day, every morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Psalm 90, 14. Yes, yes. You spend your day being satisfied in Him, walking with Him, first G. Living His Word, second G. Walking with Him, living His Word, contributing to His work, third G. Impacting this world, fourth G. All for His glory. That's a fully devoted follower of Christ. I can tell when people are hearing His voice and responding to His voice by following Him because that's our 5G process, of full devotion to Christ. Now listen to me. Fullness of life and full devotion to Jesus Christ are one in the same pursuit. Jesus said in John 10, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. In the midst of the mess we find ourselves in, thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. We'll talk about that in just a minute, this eternal life that he gives us. But fullness of life, full devotion to Christ, one in the same pursuit. So as you pursue him, Become more fully devoted to Him. Oh, my goodness, you become more filled up with Him and know Him and experience Him and experience this fullness of life in Him. And why do we do all of this? I don't know if you notice this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We do it because He knows us, He loves us, He adores us, He gave His life for us. You'll never experience a fuller life than when you are fully devoted to Christ. You'll never be more satisfied and liberated than when you are living for God's glory. So what is true about the good Shepherd's sheep? They believe Jesus is the Christ. They hear his voice and follow him, and they have eternal life. That's your next fill in the blank. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's Jesus speaking. So I don't know if you know this, but we all have eternal life. Actually, not life but we all will live for all eternity. That, that's, that's better said. So we, we are all eternal creatures. We're all eternal creatures, and it's either eternal life, eternal death, eternal celebration with God or eternal separation from God. Those are the only two choices that the Bible gives to us. Luke 15.24 says, For this my son was dead. Remember the prodigal son went out and took his inheritance on, and spent it on wild, crazy living, found himself in the pig pen, realized, wait a minute, my, God, my dad's hired hands are better off than I. I'm going to go back to my father. And, and so he goes back and returns to his father. And when he comes back, the father says this, for this my son was dead. Well, he wasn't actually dead, but he was separated from the father and the farm. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they begin to celebrate. So so when the Bible says that we're dead spiritually, we're separated from God. And when we die, we will be eternally separated from God unless we make a commitment of our life to Jesus, unless we give our lives to Him. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus. You don't wait for eternal life. You begin to experience it right then. Eternal life isn't just a a quantity of life, but it is a quality of life that all the money in this world can't buy. Eternal life is the good life we all long for. God is not the means to the good life. That's being taught in a lot of churches today. Health and wealth gospel preaches that. God is not the means to the good life. See, when we think of the good life, we think of, of, of promotions and possessions and the pleasures of life. Isn't that what we think about when we think of the good life? I mean, everyone would have a definition, oh, this is the good life, and, and you would define it probably in promotions and possessions and pleasures of life. And and certainly God gives us those things. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. But He would never want us to exchange Him for promotions and possessions and pleasures. That's called idolatry. And we're missing out what the good life is really all about. The good life is not the promotions, possessions, and pleasures. God is not the means to the good life as we would define it. Our relationship to God is is the good life. Our relationship to God is the good life. Now think about this. This is what we have in Christ. Give your life to Him. This is the eternal life. And certainly He can give you all those things, but that's not what's most important in life. No, I am, here's the good life. I am forgiven of all of my sins. I I am reconciled to God once and for all. I am adopted into His family as His child. I'm lavished with his love daily. I'm empowered with his Holy Spirit. I'm guaranteed a place in heaven. That's the good life. If you have that, you can face anything in life. Whether you have the promotions and the possessions and the pleasures. It's all good. Nothing, I'm not against any of that if you have a boat or anything like that, you could give that to me. Yeah. Then we could go up and ski, and I like skiing. But that's not real life. There's some fun to that. There's no doubt about it, but every good and perfect gift comes from God. No, there's something much deeper. Eternal life. That can never be taken from you. In fact, it says in John 17:3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, eternal life is not just escaping hell and enjoying heaven. It's a slice of heaven on earth because of your intimate relationship with God. I'm like, I'm telling you. (laughs) I mean, you guys hear this every week intimacy with God. That's a good life, not a better life. And um, so, what is true about the good shepherd sheep? They believe Jesus is the Christ. They hear his voice and follow him. They have eternal life. Oh, here's the next one. Can be a little controversial, but hey, let's talk about it. They have eternal security. They have eternal security. Listen to what he says. Jesus already said in 28, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And it's kind of a double emphasis here because he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and, and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. And so it brings up the uh, topic of eternal security. And, and I just got to tell you a little bit about my background. I came from a, a background where... And maybe they didn't mean to, for me to get this, but this is how I got it, is that you could lose your salvation just like that. And so we didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do, you know, that whole, that whole thing. And, and so we didn't go to movies, we didn't go to dances, didn't play cards. Anybody here like playing cards? You all going to hell. Okay. Okay. Uh, So you don't play cards, and so the first movie I ever went to, I probably shouldn't tell you this, American Graffiti, I thought if Jesus came back, I'd be left behind because I didn't understand grace. I didn't understand the grace of God. And I'm, I'm sure maybe the others all got it. I didn't get it. Okay, I didn't understand the grace. And I thought, oh my goodness. And then I, as I thought out it, thought that out, I just thought no, that doesn't make any sense. He gave his life for us. And and I didn't really understand the security that I have in my relationship with Him. Let me let me just say this. How many do you do you believe that we're saved by our performance, our works? No, no. Who are we saved by? Christ's performance, His works. So if you're not saved by works, you're not lost by works. You're either saved or lost, either by accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ, no matter how bad you struggle. Does that make sense? And we are, we're all going to struggle until he takes us home. But it's either did, did you commit your life to him? Are you following him? Do you want to know him? I mean, are you have you given your life to him? And so. Salvation by grace through faith is not not a license to do whatever you want to do. Why would you want to do that? He bled and died for the things that we did that separated us from him. So why would we want to trample on his love and wisdom? We're not going to do that. No, salvation by grace through faith is, is liberty to do what you were created to do, and that is to live for God's glory. If security of your relationship with God is based on on our performance, we will be on a roller coaster of pride and despair. When we're doing really well, we're gonna be proud. We're gonna look down on others that aren't doing as well as we are. And we're not doing so well, we're gonna be in despair. You're gonna ride that roller coaster because it's all based on your performance. Our lack of security, think about your relationships. Your lack of security in relationships is really, really creates distrust And fear and worry and anxiety, listen, God doesn't want you to live like that in distrust of Him, whether you're in or out in your relationship with Him. If you're a child of God, He's not kicking you out of the family no matter how bad you are, okay? He'll probably focus His attention particularly on you to help you, as every parent would do in their home. But I was reminded a few weeks ago when we talked about in Romans 8, the woman caught in adultery. And, and, and this is the security of our salvation. The verdict the verdict, always comes before the performance. He doesn't say, perform, and I'll accept you, and I'll give you blessing. That's religion. It's, no, I bless you, I accept you in Christ, therefore you're going to want to obey me. Now remember what he said to the woman that was caught in adultery? He first of all uh, kind of leveled the playing field, and he said, he is without sin, throw the first stone. Basically he's saying to her, you're not alone. Everyone on this planet struggles. Everyone on this planet is, is separated from God. You're not alone in your sin. And the second thing he said, he came up to her after they all walked out one by one, and uh, all of her accusers, they said, where are your accusers? And, and she said, I have none. And then he said, neither do I condemn you, neither do I condemn you. You're not alone. You're not condemned, go and sin no more. You're not stuck in your sin. I've got a better way for you to live your life. The verdict comes before the performance. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Now, go live your life as I empower you with my Holy Spirit and do that for my glory as as I know you will. And if you're not, it's because you don't realize that you are his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. You always go back to your justification. And I'm telling you, we're secure in Him. There's a security in knowing Him. The great basis of Christian security is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably His heart is set on us. Do you have any idea how much the Father loves us? What He did for us in sending His Son? I mean, think about that. That's what you should start every day, just reflecting on. His heart is set on you. Now, I came up with some verses. This is just a short list. I could give you 100 verses about our security in Christ. This alone would be enough to make us content regardless of what's going on in our life. Let me go through some of these. I'll do it quickly, kind of paraphrase some of these verses. Limitations 3, 21 through 23. Remember Jeremiah kicking through the rubble of Israel? They're devastated. And this is what he says, because of your great love, we are not consumed. Your compassions, your affection towards us never comes to an end. Never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh my goodness. His affections for us never come to an end. Every morning when I get up, I can experience him and know him. That's security. Here's another one, Hebrews 13, 5-6. It says, um, it talks about being content in your life. Don't, don't chase after money. Be content with what you have because he has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Did you know that in the Greek it literally says, I will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. That's our Father. That's our Savior. Romans 8, one. there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why in the world are you carrying around that guilt and shame? He died for that. Why are you letting that harass you and hassle you and hammer you? He's told us, Romans 8.1, I will never, ever, ever, ever hold your past, present, and sin against you. You've been set free. Romans 8.28-29, yeah, my life is a mess. Hey, listen, He promises us, even in the messes, even when we don't understand, He's working all things for our good and His glory. Doesn't look like it. It's guaranteed by the Word. We don't see everything, but that's what it says. That's, that brings security to us. And then Philippians 1.6. You ever kind of struggle over issues and things, and why do I keep doing that over and over again, whatever it might be, fear, worry, anxiety, whatever it might be? Well, guess what? He started to work in you. He's going to carry it on to completion. That's what He promised us, Philippians 1.6. Romans 8.31-39. Uh, nothing can ever separate us from his love. Genesis 50, 20, what the enemy intended for harm, God intended for good, for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That was Joseph. That's good stuff. That's the good life. That's just a short list. Am I the only one excited about this? I hope not. I mean, man, this is good stuff. This is overwhelming. This is what he offers us. I love it. Now, what assurance do we have? That's the the next part of this. This is just a dim glimpse of what we have in Him. Why, Why should we not be content in what we have in Him? So what assurance do we have? Now it's important to know what you believe. This is, I just shared with you what we believe. It's good to know the what, but it's also good to know the why you believe what you believe. And the reason for that is that if you don't know the why, you will drift from the what when you come against crisis or a small or or a smart a smart critic. So, what is the basis of your belief, and how reliable is its source? Oftentimes, I come across people, and they'll they'll. I start pushing them and start asking them questions about what do you believe? Well, they don't believe Christianity, but they believe and they'll begin to tell me. And I'll say, okay, and here's a good question. Always ask your family or friends that don't believe in Christianity, but they have a belief system. So start asking them questions about their belief system and then get to the place where you can say, well, what is the basis of your belief and how reliable is its source? Well, I was surfing the internet. I came across this quote. And I don't remember the person that quoted it, but it was really a good quote. And that's what I believe. It's like, what? You're going to base your whole eternity on a, on a quote? You don't even remember the person that quoted it? I mean, that's how superficial the beliefs are in our culture today. We're intellectually lazy. And we base it on such superficial foundation. The evidence surrounding the claims of Christianity is simply Overwhelming. It is inconsistent to require more justification for the Christian belief than you do for your own, if it's different from Christianity. So when I talk to people, they'll, they'll demand, well, show me, prove it to me. And I said, okay, let's hang out. Come to the DB Life, because I spend a lot of time talking about the existence of God and the reality of Jesus and, His, and the reality of God's Word and the foundation of all of that. And so... Hang out with me, I'd love to. But let me ask you this, what's the basis of your belief and how reliable is the source? It is inconsistent to require more justification for the Christian belief than you do for your own, if it's different from Christianity. Now what Jesus gives us here, He's really pushing these guys and He's saying, hey, look at the facts, look at the evidence, come on, do the research. And so the first one is believe His Word, Scripture, next fill in the blank. So what assurance do we have in these promises? Believe his word. Verse thirty one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? It's like why would you do this? See, Christ makes them Christ makes the Jews face his works. His works reflected his supernatural origin and should be the basis for accepting him as Christ. Verse thirty three. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you. Now, they couldn't deny what he was doing, the great works that he was doing, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, here's a crazy thing. I hear people say this all the time, and they'll say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Ah, you evidently haven't read the Bible. You haven't read the Gospel of John. Of course he did. He, he's all over this book. And not only that, they know that he claimed to be God because they're saying he's blaspheming. I mean, it's right here. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. And he doesn't deny it. Jesus doesn't deny it. Jesus answered them. And he's trying to help them to think this out. Think out the implications. Come on, use your old noggin. Don't check your brains at the door. Come on, guys. Work with me. Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? And so Jesus is quoting Psalm 82 6, where Hebrew judges were interpreters of the divine law and justice, and they were called gods, little g, not because they were divine, but because they represented God to the people. Verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and notice what he says Jesus says this, and scripture cannot be broken. What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is expressing his belief that the Old Testament is the inspired, infallible word of God. It cannot be broken. You want to know what Jesus' perspective of the Old Testament was? Right here. Verse 36 he goes on, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? That's a statement that's saying I am God. See if the Jews themselves used, terms, used the term gods to apply to the judges of Israel who were imperfect how much more could he claim the title because he actually was and is God? That's the point that he's making here. The Bible has demonstrated itself to be more than a mere book. It is the actual word of God, and the evidence is is more than convincing to anyone who will honestly consider its claims. One of the things that I do in a DB Life is that I I take people through this, an acronym that I've used for years, it's PREACH. And then I add to that acronym, but preach. And I t- take him through, show you the reliability of this book. It's prophetically powerful. There's predictions that have been fulfilled based on Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled 300 Old Testament prophecies with his first coming. Pretty profound. So it's prophetically powerful. It's remarkably re- reliable with manuscript evidence. There's more manuscript evidence for the Bible than for any other ancient literature. It's established by eyewitness accounts that saw the resurrected Christ and gave their life for him. It's archaeologically accurate. There's actually an archaeological Bible. Every dig that they've ever had in the Middle East, not not one of them has ever um, contradicted this book. It's only validated everything that's in this book. It's archaeologically accurate. It's credited by billions of changed lives. It's honored by outside historians that were not Christians that wrote about the wonder-working power of Jesus and who He was. It's scientifically sound. It gives us wisdom that actually works in our life, that transforms our lives. And I could go on. Do the research. That's what he's saying. He's, He's validating his word, saying, look at my word. And then he's saying, look at my works. That's the next one. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me because believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So Jesus is appealing to them to believe in him. Now, what does that mean? I think it means that there's no secret society of intimate friends that this is not no hidden message for a select chosen few. He's pleading with these Pharisees to put their faith in Him. In essence, Jesus is saying, even if you don't believe, believe the works that I have done. There's plenty of evidence to validate who I am by any serious seeker. In Isaiah chapter 35 and 61, it predicts Jesus... Jesus' wonder-working power 700 years before Christ. Listen to what John says. This is the very last verse of John's Gospel. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Listen, no one spoke, no one acted, no one loved, no one healed. No one was courageous, merciful, gracious, humble like Jesus. The more I read this gospel, the more I'm captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done. I love the gospel of John. I love the Bible. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You get a glimpse of him. You understand who he is. I don't know how you can't help but want to know Him and follow Him and experience Him in your life. There was a couple guys, Josh McDowell, a number of years ago, um, he was around a lot of college students that were Christians, tried to convert him to Christianity. He said, well, I'm going to prove him wrong. He began to do research on Christianity to disprove Christianity, really trying to prove that it's not historical, it's not evidential, it's not factual, and this is what He became a christian okay that's that's the bottom line if you're familiar with his writings evidence that demands a verdict he's written volumes on this and he in in, in his book resurrection factor that i read years ago this is what he said there was so much evidence on the validity and veracity of the scripture in this man christ jesus i'd have to commit intellectual suicide to deny it he became a christian wrote volumes lee strobel was another one his wife was a christian made fun of her, he said, and so she said to him, hey, you know what, you're a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, you have a law degree, do the research. He began to do the research and became a Christian. And of course, he's written a whole volume of books uh, uh, titled The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ, and, and just a number of things, the Case for Creation. Do the research, do the research. Look at his works. Look at this man, Christ Jesus. Believe the word, works, believe his witness. Last one's really talking about John the Baptist. He was predicting the Old Testament. We see him in the New Testament. Listen to what it says these last few verses. He went away. Again, across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign. Think about this. These people are thinking out the implications of what's going on here. And he says, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. So John's ministry was not spectacular or sensational, but everything he said about Jesus was true and was fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. Desert Breeze is not a spectacular, sensational church, but what we're talking about here is the man Christ Jesus. We're here to proclaim His name so that people can know Him and encounter Him and experience Him. Now, there's two paths to believing the gospel. It's on your notes there. The gospel is intellectually sound and experientially satisfying. It's it's left brain, right brain. Here's the first one. Left brain people, analytical. How many left brain people do we have in the house? Left brain? Left brain? Okay. More right brain is more relational. Relational? How many would say this morning, no brain? (laughs) Okay. You needed another shot of coffee there, okay? So left brain, analytical. The evidence for Christ is overwhelming. That was me. I was raised in more of a Pentecostal background. I needed to see the evidence. I needed to see that it was historical. I did the research, and Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, 16 through 21, he says this, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. These were not cunningly devised fables that we came up with, no, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. In fact, he even goes on in that text and says, hey, you want to do the research? Look at the Old Testament prophets. Look at the, that Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies, these predictions. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, this is 15 years after the resurrection, he tells the folks, hey, Jesus resurrected from the grave and there's some 500 of us that saw that or the people that were there saw that and some of them are still alive and you can go talk to them. Left brain people, analytical, the evidence of Christ is overwhelming. Right brain people, relational. This was my wife. The encounter with Christ is overwhelming. She heard the gospel. And she goes, oh my goodness, He is God, His beauty and His glory. It was, it was self-authenticating for her. It would be like me taking you out to the sun and saying, it's hot and it's bright. It's self-authenticating, you go, yep, it is. She had an encounter with Jesus. She didn't need to do the evidence. She didn't need to do the research. She said, I'm good. And those are the two paths. Left brain, right brain. The evidence for Christ is overwhelming. The encounter with Christ is overwhelming. Here's the last statement right here. If God never did another thing for you, what you have as the good shepherd's sheep is enough for you to be content and praise and serve your good shepherd, listen to me, for the rest of your life, no matter what happens. I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that. But, man, I'm loving it as I learn that more and more. Next weekend, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. How many have memorized that verse? Is there? <laughs> okay, easy one to memorize. And so Jesus wept, John 11:1 1 through 44. I'm going to talk about how do you hang on to your faith when God doesn't make sense. How do you do that? Let's pray. So, Father God, there. There is no greater contentment, satisfaction in life than what we have in believing Jesus is the Christ, hearing His voice, following Him, and experiencing the eternal life and eternal security that can only come from Him. We're grateful that the evidence surrounding the claims of Christianity is simply overwhelming. Whether it be through the evidence of Christ or an encounter with Christ, may every person listening to this message Acknowledge their sin that separates them from you and believe that Jesus Christ died in their place for their sins and confess Him and commit their life to Him. May they do that. God, we pray all of this in our Savior's beautiful name and everyone said amen. Amen. Love you guys.